Chapter 29 of The Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Cynthia Chilinski. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. Chapter 29. One Bag of Gold. I never will forget the night we spent in the lonely house. Even with two men beside us, somehow or other we could not shake off the gloom of that old empty house. And with all the memories that it held for us, the strange thing going on in it and around it for the last six months, nobody could blame us for being a bit nervous. The first thing we will do, said Mr. Juckerson, after we had decided to stay, will be to have a little tea. You know I'm fond of tea. It braces me up. Suppose we will find a place to light a fire, secretary. We can look in the kitchen, I said. Two tramps were living in this old house for some weeks. Maybe they had a stove. We went to the kitchen, lighting the way with my pocket flashlight. The rooms were the dirtiest, dustiest rooms I ever saw. All kinds of rubbish. Old newspapers, broken bottles, pieces of wood and wire and such things littered the floors in every room. And the kitchen? Oh, oh boy. Looks like a pig pen, said Mr. Jefferson. But isn't that a stove I see? It was a little two-burner oil stove on the sink. Doc Waters drew forth a candle from his pocket. I thought we might need some light, he said, so I brought plenty of these tallow candles. The skinny guy struck a match and lit it. Doc poured some candle grease and stood the candle up on it beside the oil stove. I shook the container to see if there was some oil in it and was glad to find there was. In a few seconds, we had the stove lighted and Mr. Jefferson drew out of his little satchel a teapot and a few little cardboard boxes in which he had tea and sugar and little china cups. We spoke about this, that, and anything, but always in a low voice. Seemed like not only Link and I, but Doc and the detective, too, were under the impression that somebody might hear us. The teapot began to sing in a little while, and Mr. Jefferson was just telling us how good tea was for a person who stayed in lonely houses at night, waiting for something to happen, when suddenly there came a loud thump over our heads. What's that? exclaimed the skinny guy nervously. Don't get excited, youngster, said Mr. Jefferson. The spooks in this house are beginning to walk. Here, take a little tea. It's ready. Won't do for any of us to get nervous now. Time for that later, when we meet this spook face to face. Drink this, Sonny. Here, secretary, I'll give you one next. It's all right for a man like Mr. Jefferson to talk like that, but believe me, when a boy is in a lonesome house, which he thinks he has a good reason to believe is haunted, He wants to see how fast he can travel with his feet. And I think both Link and I would have started too if Doc Waters hadn't laughed. That laugh brought us around and we drank a cup of tea. Somehow or other we felt a little bolder after that. The warm tea did it, I guess. Leave the teapot where it is, said Mr. Jefferson as he put down his cup empty. We will now go carefully upstairs and try to find out what made that disturbing sound. I'll lead the way, Doctor. You follow the boys so they can't run away if we hear anything else. But Mr. Jefferson couldn't frighten me. The tea had warmed me, and I felt again that it would be foolish to think this house was haunted. So I followed right behind Mr. Jefferson, who took my flashlight, and we went up the creaking steps to the second floor. Now understand this. We went into every room, and there wasn't a living thing in any place. We opened every clothes press, every corner we peered into, and yet there wasn't a single solitary person in that ancient house. No, and yet we had heard, as plain as could be, the sound of a thump on the floor above us as we had stood drinking tea in the kitchen. It beats me, said Mr. Jefferson, with a shake of his head as we came downstairs again and settled ourselves in the little round room of the stone tower. 
There's surely somebody in the house, Dr. Waters. We heard the sound plainly enough. Now we won't consider spooks. That old idea has gone out of date. There are no ghosts. There's a man in this house. Yes, said Doc. I'm inclined to think you are right. Yeah, I said, there aren't any spooks, Mr. Jefferson. Then why do you shake so? asked Mr. Jefferson, smiling. I noticed, then, that I was trembling quite a good deal. The skinny guy was fairly shaking. His teeth were chattering. Well, I said, I don't know how that is. I recollect when I was in Cuba with all those spooky things going on, I just had to shake some. I couldn't help shaking some. It's a habit I got, Mr. Jefferson, but it doesn't mean I'm afraid of anything. Both he and Doc laughed, but Link and I, we just looked at each other, and I don't think either of us could laugh. We couldn't even smile, for all of a sudden came that awful thump again, right over our heads on the floor above. It made the old chandelier jingle, and right away I saw the laughter die out of Mr. Jefferson's face. There it is again, he said in a low voice, and then he was silent, listening. But though we listened, the sound did not come again. Secretary, said Mr. Jefferson, Doc Waters has told me you're good on solving problems. Now I'm going to try you out. I'm going to ask you to go upstairs and stay there till that sound is repeated. We will stay down here till we hear it. Then you come down and tell us what caused it. But, but Mr. Jefferson, you're not afraid. <laughs> no. You see, that got me. That thing about being afraid. You ask any boy if he's afraid and see for yourself. He'll always shout, No! just like I did, even though he doesn't mean it any more than I did. And I had to go up. No turning back now. You won't ever catch me showing a yellow streak. Not me. So I went. All I had was my pocket flash to light the steps, and oh, how they creaked. Seemed like they made twice as much noise now. Crack, crack, crack. Every step, the creaks got louder. Oh boy, and I am a boy with a habit of shivering at night in lonely houses. My flashlight wiggled so in my hand that my light danced before me like a dizzy firefly. I had just turned the landing, started to go up the second set of steps, when I saw a sight that made me put my hand to my mouth to smother the cry of fright that threatened to give me away. In the front room, the round room on the second floor of the stone tower on the right front of the house, in that room was a dim glow, but it grew brighter as I watched. I had sense enough to take my thumb off the button of my electric flash and let myself in darkness, and the light grew brighter until I saw the light itself, a lantern, an old ship's lantern, carried in the hand of an old bent figure. I knew him! By all the saints, I knew him! It was the old man! The same old man who had come into my writing room one day to ask me to read a letter to him that told of hidden gold in this same old lonely house. It was he! Only an instant did I pause to look at him. Then I turned and ran as fast as I could downstairs to the room where Doc and the detective and Link were waiting. He's coming, I whispered hoarsely. Wait and watch him closely or he'll get away from us before we know it. Slowly and with a creaking of the rickety stairs came the old figure with the ship's lantern down the steps. We had snuffed out the candle on the table. We sat in darkness. The old figure passed into the hall and we could see that in one hand he carried the lantern. In the other, a bag made of some white cloth. His lips seemed to be moving as though he were talking to himself, but no sound did he make. Slowly, he opened the door and went out. The door swung behind him and with a soft click. Now, exclaimed Jefferson, leaping up, hand me that flashlamp, secretary, and follow me. He needn't have told us. We would have followed him anyway, because he followed the old man. And if he hadn't gone, believe me, I'm one that would have followed the old man that night, just to see what all this funny business meant. 
But though the old man moved slowly in the lonely house, it was no sign that he couldn't move swiftly when he wanted to. By the time he had stepped out of the door, his old lantern showed a good 30 yards away, heading for the creek. Well, we moved swiftly, but not swift enough for the old man. By the time we reached the creek, he was halfway across in a skiff. Rube Miller's boat is up a piece, said the skinny guy excitedly. I'll fetch it. Link was spy of our gang, and I wasn't surprised at him knowing about Rube Miller's boat. But Mr. Jackerson and Doc seemed to think Link was a wonder for thinking so quickly. Link brought down a flat-bottomed rowboat, and in we got. By the time we got started, the old man had crossed the creek and was already out of his skiff. We could see his lantern moving through the trees. By the time we landed, the old man had disappeared, but a light showed in the windows of the old mill. That's where he is, I told Mr. Jefferson. We all started running for the old mill, but by the time we reached it, the light had gone out within it. We peered through the misshapen windows into black darkness, but suddenly a light sprang up within it. A trapped door in the floor of the mill was raised, and we heard a peculiar old whining voice. One, 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 whined the old voice as the bald head of the old man appeared, coming up the steps from the trap door. Always one, one, one. Tomorrow I shall see two, I say, but always one, one, one. His voice hushed suddenly. He paused halfway out of the cellar and lifted his lantern above his head. Who's there? he cried in a plaintive, frightened voice. But we did not say a word. We backed away from the windows. Then his voice came again. One, one, one. Always one. Tomorrow I shall surely make it two, two, two. And so saying, he came out of the trap door. He let it fall gently. Then with slow steps, he came out of the mill. We all crouched close to the crumbling masonry to let him pass. If he had turned his head just an inch, he would have seen us, for the light of his lantern was upon my boots. But he went on, muttering, one, one, never more. We let his voice die out amid the trees. Then Jackerson, without a word, sprang around the corner of the old mill and leaped into the doorless entryway. We all followed. In an instant, Jackerson had the trap door up, leaving a gaping hole in the floor. Five steps led into a cellar, and when we stood in that damp, dark place so close to the ancient creek that seeped through the muddy walls, we saw by the light of our electric flash a little flat wooden tub, such a tub, perhaps, as you used to see butter sent to town in by country folks. And in the bottom of this little flat tub, a sack, the very cloth sack that we had seen the old man carrying away from the lonely house. Jackerson did not touch it until we all four stood around it. He played his flashlight upon it. Hawkins, he said, suppose you see what it is that the old man brought here. Look, it's the same sack we saw him carrying. See what it is. I stood for a moment like a statue. I could not move. I shook like the leaves shake when the fall comes around and the leaves are dry. But I finally moved myself and picked up the sack out of the wooden tub. It was heavy. I shoved my hand into it and clutched something cold, cold, round little pieces. I drew my clenched hand out, full. Gold, I said. Gold money, Mr. Jackerson, look! Jackerson's hand trembled as he reached for it. I dropped the gold pieces into his outstretched palm. They jingled. Gold, he said. By gracious, Secretary, you're right. This whole thing's right. There is gold in the lonely house. That's no ghost story after all. By gracious, Doc Waters, if we can find the answer to this, we are going to be rich men. Secretary Hawkins, I want to congratulate you. Congratulate the Dickens, I said. Get out and follow that old man. He's got the answer. we got to find out where he goes to. By gracious, you're right, Secretary. 
but by the time we had left the mill, the light of the old man's lantern was far beyond. He had already landed across the creek. We could see the light moving toward the lonely house. We all tumbled into Rube Miller's flatboat, and Link and I rode across twice as fast, I know, as the old man had rode. And we leaped out, the skinny guy leading the way, and ran, following the light that was making for the rickety steps of Lonely House. Twice in the darkness, Link stumbled over some tangled vines and fell, and once I fell over him, but each time it meant a stop, and by the time we reached the Lonely House, the old man and his light had disappeared within the doorway. We sprang up the steps. The door was ajar. We pushed it open. The light of the old man's lantern was still faintly visible beyond the landing. I outran Link, and though I had given my electric flash to Jeckerson, I felt that I wouldn't need it, and so ran up the creaking stairs, but I was fooled. <laughs> yeah, you can hand it to the old man, or you can call it a ghost. That is, if you want to, because by the time I reached the landing, where the stairway turns to the second floor, all sight of the old man, even the glow of his ship's lantern, all was gone. I ran back down and got my flashlight from Jefferson. Again, I raced up the creaking stairs. This time, they were all behind me. We went through every room. Believe me as I tell it to you. There was no old man in that house. No, sir, there was no old man upstairs nor down, for we went through the whole house. End of chapter 29